Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, June 8, 2021, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Well, Mercury is retrograde now until June 22nd, so that's not a good time to start something new, and communications can be unreliable. You can read more about that on our site or many places on the Internet. And just so you know, we have had 10 spots open up for our previously full um, August Starseed Quest because of airline restrictions to our international visitors. And those are the only spots available now until 2022. So if you um, want to get in on that last little few spots, um, just send an email to crystals at starseedhotline.com and uh, you can claim one of those spots. Um, Also, tomorrow, June 8th, is your last day to opt out of Amazon's Sidewalk. And if you don't, you will automatically be enrolled and your personal privacy and security will be compromised if you use Echo, Ring, or Alexa. I just had a a late-breaking news story come into my email box, um, and you can find out more about that, but it's... uh, It doesn't look good. So if you use Echo, Ring, or Alexa, you need to opt out of Amazon Sidewalk, and tomorrow's the last day. And um, another thing that I want to inform you about, there is an important event coming on the solstice, June 21st. And this message comes from Stop5Ginternational.org. And they say, as our global movement to counter 5G strives to reach a wider audience in its effort to alert the public and decision makers about the perils of EMF radiation on Earth and in space, the Stop 5G international team would like to invite you to join in an experimental, soulful envisioning of a better future for all life on Earth. This will take the form of a globally synchronized guided meditation scheduled for June 21st at 3.32 Greenwich Mean Time. So that would, in the United States, Eastern Time would be five hours later, so 8.32 in the morning, and then you can do the math after that. And this is the pivotal moment when our planet uh, crosses the solstice. And history has shown time and again that when exposure to a substance harmful to humans and natures reaches a certain threshold of cumulative effects, the pendulum of awareness, like the earth in her seasonal cycles, swings back. And what seemed impossible suddenly becomes achievable as everyone jumps on the bandwagon of change. Even staunch deniers snap out of their trance-like state and accept the science and empirical evidence. We are not there yet with the 5G EMF satellite um, IoT data AI juggernaut, but it will come to pass, and each of us can be instrumental in creating the conditions for this shift to take place. This is what the global envisioning of a healthier, more balanced future is about. You can go to their YouTube channel, which is Stop 5G International, to learn more and uh, participate. So um, our special guest this evening 
is Craig Campobasso, and this is the second part of his interview on the ultimate field guide to the 82 extraterrestrial species that populate the universe. Craig explores the origins, physical characteristics, technological and consciousness abilities, dimensional capacities, belief systems, and cosmic agendas of each of the species. The species fall into two categories, the benevolent races, which function as the guardians of humanity, whose goals include helping people overcome duality, healing and protecting, and the second group, the malevolent races, which are responsible for abductions, cloning, and ultimately domination. This intergalactic expose will entertain all those interested in UFOs, aliens, ETs, sci-fi, and fantasy fans of the Marvel Universe, Star Trek, Star Wars, and other popular TV shows like Ancient Aliens, Roswell, and Project Blue Book. Uh, These people will love this book as it delves deeply into who the real extraterrestrials are and what they want with the people of Earth. Craig first introduced our audience to Valiant Thor, an ET who visited the White House in 1957 and lived at the Pentagon for three years. Craig worked extensively with Dr. Frank, who was there in 57, met Valiant Thor, and wrote the book Stranger at the Pentagon. Uh, An Emmy-nominated casting director in Hollywood, Craig has received multiple awards for his short film, Stranger at the Pentagon. And you can see the links on our show page for Craig's new book and his websites, um, autobiographyofanet.com. And you can go to the other books um, page for a signed copy and, of course, his other website at Stranger at the Pentagon. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy and Jada for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment. And um, we are now just going to go ahead and switch over um, to cut down the length of the intro. So um, let me get the, get the switchboard back up here. And I will bring Anastasia on. Where are you? There you are. <laughs> Good evening, Ariel. Thank you for the applause. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Great to be with you. <laughs> well, NASA is selecting two new missions to Venus. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I grew up in an era where, well, I shouldn't say this, but it's the truth. We hadn't even visited the moon yet. So here we are. I mean, I look at that and I go, wow. Yep, NASA has has selected two new discovery program missions. One, get this, the Deep Atmosphere Venus Investigation of Noble Gases Chemistry and Imaging, also known as Da Vinci, and the Venus Emesicity, Emesicity, I guess. (laughs) Let me use the word, I'm going to use the word emission. Okay, the Emission Radio Science INSAR Topography and Spectography, Veritas for short, Veritas. Just remember DaVinci and Veritas, and you'll have it. And they're sending these two missions to Venus, DaVinci and Veritas. Now, the missions aim to understand how the atmosphere of Venus formed, evolved, and determine whether the planet ever had an ocean, and understand why Venus developed so differently from Earth. Now, NASA is going to award approximately $500 million per mission for development, and each is expected to launch 
in the 2028 timeframe, maybe as late as 2030. So what are we looking at here? Seven, nine years? Be sending new missions to Venus. Takes a long time to prepare for that. But what an amazing thing. That's what they're going to do. That's just incredible. And in Australia, they have discovered, guess what? A brand new dinosaur species. Anybody that's interested in dinosaurs, this is cool. The photograph of it, the artist rendering is really interesting. Um, I can't describe it to you, so you just have to go look it up. But the species, uh, the newly discovered species of Titanosaurian, it's a sauropod dinosaur, and they've named it, here we go, um, Australia Tidian coparensis, which is the largest species, I'm saying that with a smile, it is the largest species of dinosaur ever found in Australia. I'm laughing at myself because I can't say these big scientific words, which is probably <laughs> why I never went in science. I'm a lit type person, okay? You know, literature is my thing, not science, and I can't say these words. <laughs> anyway, this <laughs> dinosaur lived during the Cre- uh, Cretaceous period, approximately 92 to 96 million years ago. Just think about that. Life on planet Earth around 100 million years ago. And at that time, there were these enormous beings. One of these, they've just discovered the Titanosauria, which is a, a group of sauropods. What's that? Well, that's a long-necked, plant-eating dinosaur. Now, the, the picture of this, the artist rendering, is amazing. The neck looks like the length of a, of a couple of railroad cars. Immense, huge. I don't know how it stood up straight. It's so top-heavy, front-heavy. Um, anyway... They say that this is from the largest known terrestrial vertebrates to, uh, the, on the planet, okay? They say it was about 100 feet long, um, about 21 feet high, and had a mass up to 74 tons. And I, I learned from this article that Australia has been one of the most productive places on Earth with the discovery of dinosaurs. They found a lot of species in Australia, and now, like I say... I just found a brand new one, never discovered before. Wow. Well, did you know there's a company that takes care of dogs and transfers them? Uh, more than 45 at-risk shelter dogs who are scheduled for euthanization. Well, instead of putting them down, they were flown from El Paso to Portland last week to be hand-delivered to adoptive and foster families. There is a a group of people called Dog is My Co-Pilot. And they <laughs> partnered with this pest-friendly protection, uh, pest-friendly uh, pest uh, chemical company, okay, to get rid of pests. And, but it's, it's pet-friendly. It doesn't, it's non-toxic to dogs and cats. This, this pest company and this group, Dog is My Co-Pilot, got together and funded this rescue of 45 dogs from overcrowded uh, shelters in West Texas. And actually, it said 45-plus dogs. Now, you know, Texas had all those uh, weather problems um, and upheavals, and animals were lost and separated and all the problems they've had with their weather. I remember reading about that many months back. So they just had a lot of abandoned animals, and this group called Dog is My Co-Pilot is a nonprofit group that will transport animals at risk of being euthanized to adoption centers that have managed to find homes for these pets. So these 45-plus animals were transported to families in Portland 
who are ready to foster and adopt them. And they have rescued, Dog is my co-pilot, has rescued more than 17,000 animals since they started in 2012. Just think about it. Wow. So if you want something to sponsor or uh, contribute to, check out Dog is my co-pilot. That's just awesome. Yeah. And here's here's a human story that's amazing. Uh, Dog is my co-pilot. It's a wonderful group of people making a difference. This is a story about a couple in Southern California who made a difference with themselves, with cash out of their own pocket. They didn't partner with the company to help them out. They just ponied up. What they did was they placed cash, yeah, cold hard cash, inside baby products containers at Target stores, and this was an effort to help new parents who were struggling financially to take care of their newborns. This woman and her husband know what it's like to be parents for the first time, and she said, we struggled to make ends meet, and they wanted to do something to help others. How did people find out about it? Well, she did post a video of their adventure on Instagram. It wasn't exactly secret, but she said, we want to make things easier. We want to brighten people's day and inspire other people to spread joy and kindness. Well, so they just scraped up $1,000 and poked it into product boxes and things in various Target stores in the baby section. And um, actually, this video on Instagram has had almost 100,000 likes and has actually inspired other people to follow suit. The reports are that People who have watched this video are reporting that they're going out tucking cash in stores and in places where people will find it, where they think that uh, people who are struggling will need it, and that's what they're doing. So it's kind of started a, a, a an action on the part of others who recognize what kind of joy this brings to people. So you see someone opening up a product they get at Target for their baby. It, you know, Maybe it's something with a box lid that pops open. And out comes a $100 bill or a $50 bill or a $20 bill or whatever. And the absolute delight and joy the person has. And so that was their intention, this couple, to spread uh, joy and kindness and to motivate others to do the same. And according to the Internet reports that I've read, other people are starting to do it too. So that's pretty amazing. And here's a good deed from a company. Everybody's doing good things, and that's a, boy, this is the kind of future we want. An eight-year-old boy in Virginia received a surprise package from Pokemon after a photograph of this boy selling his cherished Pokemon collection in order to save his dog popped up on the Internet. This is a little boy who's eight years old, and he's a diehard Pokemon fanatic. And when his siblings won't play with him, his doggie, named Bruce, is always up for a game. The little boy said, my brother and sister play together, and I don't have anybody to play with, so usually I play with Bruce, his doggy. But when the boy learned his, pup, his puppy had gotten sick and needed treatment the family couldn't afford to pay for, the little boy took matters into his own hands. He said, uh, or his mother said, while I'm in school, I get this text message with a picture of my son and a sign on the side of the road selling his Pokemon cards. Now, the little boy, this his Pokemon collection was everything to him. And somebody drove by in their little town, 
saw her son on the side of the road, the picture's adorable, in child, childhood print, Pokemon for sale. <clears throat> and the mother got a text that showed this. So her mother posted the picture online to get the word out. She made a GoFundMe account with a goal of $800 to help the dog, to take care of the dog. But the donations that came in exceeded $5,000. And the dog was treated with all of these contributions uh, for canine uh, parvovirus for a week, and the little boy got reunited with his dog, Bruce. Aww. They say the dog is doing great, and it wasn't just people around the world who helped the boy. It caught the attention of Pokemon employees in Washington. And they sent a package of rare Pokemon cards that are hard to find in store with a letter that said, Hey, we were so inspired by your story about selling your cards to help your dog. These are some cards to help you replace the ones you had to sell. Aww. And the additional money that was raised in the fundraiser will go toward medical expenses for other sick animals in southwest Virginia. Isn't that something? Yeah. See what people are capable of. God, it's great. It is. All right, well, heartwarming. let's talk a little Yes, it's awesome. Let's talk about energy conservation for a second. Um, you know, lithium-ion batteries have become more inexpensive in recent years. It used to cost a lot more for a copper-top battery than it does now. But um, the, techni- the technology is still a bit too expensive for long-term storage of renewable energy. You know, I mean, uh, most of that's weather-dependent anyway. So innovators are looking beyond lithium-based batteries to find a viable energy storage system that would accelerate our green energy transition. Now, one of the most interesting emerging energy storage solutions comes from this Bay Area startup, which is developing an ultra-low-cost rechargeable battery that would be powered by carbon dioxide that has been split into carbon and oxygen using excess renewable energy. And what differentiates this company from other battery companies is that instead of using pricier materials such as cobalt and lithium, the startup aims to radically lower long-term storage costs by creating simpler technology that simply uses what's readily available all around us, carbon and oxygen. Now, that's awesome, amazing where we're going with this. If we'd been giving green technology its due for the last goodness knows what, what do you all say, 40 years, however long, Think how far we'd be by now. And now we are having to do it and finally, finally uh, forcing out the old way and getting into the new. And look how quickly things are moving forward. It's very promising for the future. All right. Now we want to talk about some good deeds. I want to share with you guys how we're doing on time. We're okay. Um, A Louisiana high school senior's shoes almost kept him from walking across the stage at his graduation. He didn't have shoes but a teacher gave him the shoes off his own feet. Well, actually, he did have shoes. I won't say that. But um, they were not adequate shoes. They were falling apart. A school employee at the door told him the shoes he, the shoes he had on weren't allowed and wouldn't let him inside the school so he could graduate. Um, the 18-year-old young man was pacing outside not knowing what to do. Can you just imagine having the door closed in his face at his graduation? 
He was pacing outside when he saw his teacher and told him what happened. The teacher said, this is the biggest moment in your life, and nobody is going to take that away from you. The teacher said, it was a no-brainer. I took my shoes off and I gave them to him. But there was a little problem. The shoes were too big. They were two size bigger. The teacher wore a size 11. Oh. Uh, um, I, I don't know if they stuffed them with paper or what they did, but he graduated with those exercise large shoes on. The boy got his diploma, and um, the teacher was overjoyed. He attended the graduation without shoes, I might add, while the boy graduated uh, wearing the teacher's shoes. So the, the teacher said, I try my best to be the best human being I can possibly be, and I try to lead by example. Well, I'll say. So yeah, um, what I can't imagine, you guys, is that the school just closed the door on the kid. Can you even conceive of that? I think that's probably the bigger story. Hey, you can't wear yeah. those shoes to your graduation. Close. I mean, that to me, that's the real story. But yeah, the teacher was wonderful. He should have. They should have never shut him out in the first place. Here's an amazing story about a woman who was pregnant, is pregnant, and saved three children from drowning in Lake Michigan. They're calling her a hero because she saved these children from drowning. The woman says, I'm really glad I was where I was. Uh, I don't know if they would have gotten out alive if I hadn't seen them. She has children already. She's carrying another one. She was on the beach with her children, and she saw arms waving in the water. There were rip currents that had pulled a group of children, all under the age of 15, out deeper and deeper into Lake Michigan, and they couldn't escape. And this is what she said about it. She said, see, I wasn't even going to go to take the kids down to the beach. It was windy earlier, and I sat in the driveway for a good five minutes with all of us in the van while I was thinking about just staying home. But something told me to go, so we did. So I took the kids to the pier side of the beach. We never, ever, ever go to this side, ever. Today, I felt that this side was the best for whatever reason. You can't tell me it was luck. I was there when I was. I was meant to be there, and I'm so thankful for it. She goes on and says, While the kids and I were, here, uh, were there this afternoon, I noticed a pair of hands waving toward me from the water. I immediately got my kids out of the water, and I ran onto the pier. A group of kids were getting pulled out into the lake and slammed against the pier wall. They could oh. barely keep their heads above water. They were literally drowning in front of my eyes, and there was not one person on that side of the beach I could scream to for help. It was empty. I called 911, but I couldn't hear a thing with the wind and waves, so I just prayed they could hear me screaming for help and worked to pull those kids up the side of the pier. She goes on to say, One of those girls looked at me with so much terror in her eyes and told me she was going to die. I promised her I would not let that happen. I promised her with everything I had in me. Then the adrenaline kicked into high gear, and somehow I did it. I pulled them up the pier wall with the waves slamming into me and throwing the kids all over the place, pulling with all my might on wet, slippery hands and almost going over the edge myself a few times. I kept my promise I was going to do whatever I had to do. I'm beyond thankful that I was where I was and that those kids get to live another day. And then she finishes by saying, Please stress water safety to your kids, please. I know those waves are fun, 
and you never expect to find yourself in that situation. But it happens so fast. She said, I'm loving my babies a little harder tonight, and I'm sure those parents are too. Well, the police and help did not arrive until after she'd pulled the kids out of the water. There were minor injuries, but the police chief of this city said, if this heroic young lady had not been there, things would have turned out very differently. Now, this girl is five months pregnant. She went to the emergency room to make sure her baby was okay because she was laying on her stomach the whole time. But thankfully, both she and the baby were safe. Wow. Now, you just have to look at the coincidences in her sharing of thinking not to go and feeling like she should and choosing a different part of the the lake, the pier. Um, You just know there was a lot of intuition going on right there. Wonderful story. Lastly, final story for tonight. There, speaking of rescue and paramedics and such as that, there is a team of bird paramedics that is saving the migratory species in New York. I know you all know this. We've talked about it before on the news, but large skyscrapers are posing a real threat to migratory birds who often cannot see in front of them while flying. And in large urban areas like New York, thousands of birds crash into skyscrapers every year. But the bird paramedics of New York are there to help. There are about 30 volunteers with New York City's Audubon Project Safe Flight who spend their days touring the city in search of injured birds. The volunteers provide care to the birds, but they also collect dead birds and document the most dangerous areas for migrating birds. They also note what species seem to be at most risk for collisions. Now, Bird paramedics might sound a little bit catchy, but Audubon Audubon estimates that up to 230,000 migratory birds died from building collisions in New York alone every year. And it's because New York City is located along something called the Atlantic Flyway, which is that corridor that birds use to travel from Central or South America to their northern breeding grounds. So now volunteers are collecting injured birds, putting them safely in paper bags so they'll rest, and taken to the Wild Wild Bird Fund Treatment Center. There, a licensed wildlife rehabber will give the animal time to rest and give care, such as drops for eye injury or anti-inflammatory medicine and so on. Now, once they type the species and they heal the injuries, they catalog the data, then they uh, give it time in a sanctuary with other birds before they release it into Central Park or they take it other places where it can be safe, I suppose. They collect 30 to 50 birds a day in prime migratory seasons. Unfortunately, about only 50% survive, but we could also say that fortunately 50% live. They say they're managing to save some bird lives and hopefully their data will influence regulations about tall buildings so that we could in the future implement bird-friendly glass and so on, adjust the lighting, this is a big one, in large buildings during migratory seasons to reduce collisions. There actually, I think I had a story on this perhaps, um, about certain towns in some parts of the world that are turning off their night lights, um, turning off their power so that the birds are not confused during their night their night flights with migration. So 
Night lights are are greatly confusing to birds, and as is glass. So as we're moving into a more eco-sustainable future and a more mindful consciousness, uh, we're hoping that city planning, many are hoping that city planning and um, the way that we lay out our cities and our way of life will be more habitable for the other creatures on the planet and not just us. Right. So all of these stories are about uh, so many possibilities, beautiful possibilities emerging. So keep that in mind. There are many good souls out there doing many good things, and I know each one of you are just right in there with the rest of them, being beautiful, radiating light, and doing many good things. From my heart to each one of you, much love, everybody. Have a beautiful couple of weeks. Thank you, Arielle. Oh, thank you, Anastasia. Very, very good stories tonight. So we'll see you in two weeks. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, just some very touching stories. So um, we are going to get Lavendar and our guest, Craig Campobasso. Get your microphones open. Okay. Hi, Craig, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. I am too. I'm so happy to be with you guys again. You know how much I love all of you. And uh, every time I hear Anastasia do that report. I mean, these stories are just like, I'm like, where does she dig those up? They're like the best. <laughs> well, I know she, she says it, it gets harder and harder. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's heartwarming to, to hear yes. that, you know, there are more and more good Samaritans. That's right. Pitching That's in. right. Well, it's nice. Yeah. It's nice to hear those stories because we only hear the negative stories, and there really are a whole lot of those stories. And I, and I knew at some point, and I don't know if it ever happened, but somebody was going to do a whole network based on only positive news and positive uh, shows and and uh, content. And I thought that was such a great idea. Yeah, yeah. It would be nice to have a, a, a global good news network. Yeah. Where, you yeah. know, because it's inspiring. <laughs> it's inspiring to hear what, you know, other people are doing. The, you know, the little boy, you know, selling his precious uh, cards to take care of his dog and, you know, people just stepping up and doing the right thing. Uh, it's yes, It's absolutely. very heartwarming. And very encouraging. <laughs> Very so, um, <laughs> um Lavendar, are you uh, ready to go? I'm ready to go. Okay. Hey, Lavendar. So here we go. How are you? Well, hey, I'm so glad that you uh, decided to come on tonight at such short notice. We had another guest that at the last minute had to cancel. So thank you for, for moving on a dime, okay? <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. I love being with you guys. You know that. <laughs> You have so many wonderful projects that you've brought to the planet already. Um, just just start telling us a little bit of, you know, I'd like to know more about your mom and how she kind of raised you to be in the kind of consciousness that you're in now. Tell us a little bit about her. Oh, I would love to tell you about my mom. Her, her name, uh, she was born Marie Donna King, and... Um, she uh, 
was uh, raised in an extremely poor family. Um, uh, the house that they lived in, uh, her father homesteaded the land uh, here in the valley in California and uh, built the house. And uh, she said that their walls were just beadboard because they couldn't afford to do walls or anything of that nature. Um, And then when she was 13, her father just dropped dead at the kitchen table from a heart attack. And uh, her mother was deaf. And um, it was very hard for her to get jobs and to um, keep. uh, There was six kids. And my mom was the second to the last born. And um, so they, uh, she would just tell me stories about when the power company would come, that um, like all the neighbors were on high alert to alert them. And if they were knocking on the door, that they wouldn't answer the door. And then, but they knew where to go and how to turn it back on once they turned it off. <laughs> so they would go and do that. Or if the car payments hadn't been made, they would hide it in a neighbor's garage. Um, little things like that. My grandmother um, had to, uh, she did house cleaning work and she ironed for people. My mom's older sister had to sort of go to work early to bring in money just to keep food on the table. I mean, my mom talked about, like, a treat for them was when her mom made the mayonnaise cakes when they were young. Um, I was like, wow, that must have been fattening. But uh, anyway, those were were her childhood memories. Um, She... uh, Around the age of 23, she met my biological father, and um, uh, they were together. I don't know the duration of time, but um, she became pregnant with me, and she found out that he was married with a kid, and so um, she ended the relationship immediately and she said when I was born that he came to the door and she said I just put the door in his face and so um, she lived with her younger sister and uh, all three of us when I was an infant um, we all shared one room and they had a roommate who shared the other room and just to make ends meet and um And then uh, when she went to work, she had to find a babysitter for me. And uh, through one of her girlfriends, uh, 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 the woman ultimately became my godmother and her husband my godfather. And of all things, her name is Mercy, and my godfather's name was Gabriel. How's that? That was pretty cool. And... um, Isn't it? Yeah, pretty. I always sort of look at that. And then she met my father uh, during that first year, and they married when I was one, and he adopted me. Um, All of this, which I did not know until I was 12. And and when my mom told me, I 
um, she thought that I would think ill of her for uh, having me out of wedlock. And I said, oh, absolutely not. I mean, you know, I really just reassured her and she was crying and, you know, I just hugged her and told her how much I loved her. And I never looked differently about my stepfather. In fact, I've never considered him my stepfather. I consider him my father. Um, and uh, so throughout life, I've often wondered about who this mystery man was who, uh, you know, uh, carries my DNA. And um, when I got the assignment to write the uh uh, extraterrestrial Species Almanac in 2019, I was contacted by a genealogist in Canada who told me I was her fourth cousin, either fourth or fifth, and that um, she, uh, and, and she needed some information on my mother's father's side, and that's how we were related. So I gave it to her, and I said, hey, can you, you know, I said, I've tried to find my biological father online, but I, I, I keep coming up empty. I don't know what he looks like. I only have a name, and I know he was in the military, possibly. My mom remembers, because my mom didn't really remember much, nor did any of her girlfriends ever meet him. So, so there is just even this stronger air of mystery around him, and... Um, Anyway, uh, somewhere around six months later, she sent me an email, and she says, well, I found him. Uh, he passed away in 2006. Um, he definitely is your father because I connected him through your DNA to his DNA, and um, he is buried here. And so I went down to the cemetery and went to the front desk, asked them if they had um, – uh, a name of a person that called when my biological father passed. And she goes, well, let me look. And she goes, yeah, I do have a name. Um, I don't have any contact info, but I'm happy to give you the name. So she did. Um, I went and visited his uh, crypt. And, um, and then I came home and I looked this gentleman up uh, online, and lo and behold, he had a different last name than my bio father, by the way. Looked him up, and, you know, as with all things in coincidences, lived around the corner from me. And so I wrote him a letter, and I just told him my story. I put my picture in there, and I said, if you know anybody in Fred's family, can you please pass this letter along? So... A few days later, I get a call from this gentleman's son. He was 74 at the time, uh, the man. And, um, and he said, uh, my dad got your letter, and that's why I'm calling. And I said, was your dad a friend of Fred's? And he said, no, he's actually his half-brother. And I said, oh, so you're my cousin, I guess. And he goes, yeah, I guess I am. He said, you know, normally... Um, one would probably ignore a letter like this, but you are a dead ringer for him. And so I made, uh, we made a dinner uh, engagement, me and my uh, newfound uncle and newfound uh, cousin. 
and I just said, God, just tell me everything about him. I just, you know, and, and please, I need to know what he looked like, right? So anyway, it was three hour, a three-hour dinner for the first time we met. And an hour into the conversation, my uncle looks at me, and by the way, he's staring at me the whole time with a smile on his face, just going, I can't believe this. I just can't believe this. You look just like him. You're the exact same height as him. You are, he goes, I can't believe he never told us, right? And um, so three, uh, an hour into the uh, dinner, my uncle looks at me and he says, well, you know, when, when we were young, I was younger than him, of course. Um, we had the same mother. And um, he really wanted to go into the air guard, uh, and my mom had to sign papers for him to go in because he wasn't 18. And he begged her and begged her, and finally she relented. And when he turned 18, he immediately went into the Air Force. And he did go into intelligence. And, um, and, and I know all the different places my uncle had told me. He was stationed, and he flew planes and things of that nature as well. And um, and he said, oh, hey, and by the way, he was part of Project Blue Book. And I there it is. my face, <laughs> there yeah, it is, my right face, my <laughs> literal face drop. And every time I tell the story, my body rings with chills, which it's doing right now. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah. Do you, and, and I looked at my uncle and I said, well, do you know what that is? And he goes, well, kind of. And so I explained it to him, and he said, yes. And, um, and he said, but, you know, he didn't, at a certain point, he didn't like being there anymore because he realized he wasn't going to have a great military career the way things were looking. So he, you know, so he returned home, and uh, uh, not long after, he met somebody who introduced him to the Union um, Ayatsi um, for people in the film who work behind the scenes in construction. And um, he became the head of construction at Warner Brothers for movies and television. And I'm like, what? I'm like, okay. I'm in, you know, here I am just writing a book about MUFON, right, which, uh, you know, which is the U.S.-based nonprofit, you know, comprised of civilian volunteers that study UFOs and UFO sightings. And here he was in Project Blue Book, which is the Air Force's study on UFOs and UFO-related data. I've been in the film business since I was 15 years old, casting movies for well over three decades and directing and producing and writing as well. And here he was doing the same exact thing. And for a period of somewhere over 10 years, him and his wife lived around the corner from me. Wow. 
Well, one of the reasons I wanted you to talk about your mother because I was some, I was picking up something. Um, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I felt like yeah. that that your conception had a third ingredient. I think there was a, an intergalactic semen that was directed into into your mother's womb. Yes, that's yes, what, I've actually been told that. I've been told that uh, that's before. What, that's, exa- that's exactly yeah. what I started. As you were talking about your mother, and for some reason I just wanted you to talk about her, I started seeing that. I said, oh, my goodness, I wonder if I should tell him that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, I've always known that uh, when I when I had my spiritual awakening, I've always felt like a – like a visitor to this planet, not like I really belonged. And I never felt like I fit in when I was a kid. And when I was, after I had my spiritual awakening at age 26, all I kept feeling inside my body and inside my mind is I want to go home. I want to go home. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And I had no idea why I was feeling or saying those things way back when, right? Yeah. Until I realized what my purpose was after my two-year awakening process, and it was to write and to bring the universal information onto the planet of, of the benevolence of, of the majority of all of the extraterrestrial races as well. And, um, and so that people could see it from a more normal standpoint than what a lot of the um, things where uh, others were making it more woo-woo and it, it wasn't being taken seriously. Like now, all of a sudden, we're being bombarded by, okay, guess what? It's real, folks. The government's saying it now. They're <laughs> trickling little things out, and they're doing all of that, which makes me go back to 2019 when my book agent called me and said, Craig, I got a great idea for a book, and you're the man to write it. It's, I, and I said, well, what's that? And he goes, I even have the title. It's called The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac. He goes, I could sell that book. He goes, I said, I could write that book. And he said, I know. And he said, so write up a proposal. So I did it in a few days. Four days later, he sold the book. That never happened. That just doesn't happen. And I, that, I had to sit down and say to myself, there must be a bigger reason in the picture for this book coming out because um, – I think what it's going to do is when all the floodgates and everything open up, people are going to want to know what's out there. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I really, so, think, I really, um, I think this is the plan all along before you ever came to the planet. You knew that you were going to do this. I think there's something yeah. in you. Because after I read your Thor um, series, I said, oh, my goodness, yeah. he's lived somewhere else. Yes. Yes. So yeah. it's, I mean, it's like you're back yeah. here remembering where you used to be in some of your uh, ET encounters and other times and spaces. That's kind of the way I look at it. 
Yes, absolutely. I do. I do recall it all. And I, um, I also astral travel there. Um, I'm, I go there in lucid dream states. Um, I see things on what we call the mind internet, you know, when you're meditating and, and different beings come through and, uh, and you see them as clearly as you see somebody with your eyes open and sometimes they say something, sometimes they just smile and you can, you can feel it. But, you know, what I realized over all these years is you get a little download from all of them. Uh, you know, especially with the, the whole Valiant Thor story and all of that, they would give me downloads um, nightly and, and weekly dependent on where I was with uh, the writing of their story. So, um, and they would also do what is, which is what a part of telepathy is in the um, awakened world is they at the same time as talking mind to mind, they share their feeling body. It's like they swap it. So as you're telling the story in their mind, they feel it, see it, experience it just as you did. So it is a full sensory um, conversation. And then you are left with that beautiful resonation of that person's experience. So when I would write with uh, all of the ET beings, including uh, the gods and the paradise sons and the fully conscious beings in the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga, they come in, they sit, they, 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 uh, they sit their body in yours so you could feel them and write from their perspective and in their words. And the same thing happened with Valiant Thor and his crew. And the beautiful thing about that is when they are created beings like Valiant Thor or um, some of the other uh, created beings that are in the autobiography of an ET, you literally sob for at least 15 minutes because they are so beautiful on the inside. And, and what's amazing is people don't realize is when you get, uh, when we graduate from this world and, and go up into that fourth and fifth dimension, there are no secrets. The, everyone shares everything about who they are. So it's like what Dr. Frank first uh talked about when Valiant Thor looked at him when he met him that day at the Pentagon he said he looked right through me as if he read my entire soul history at a glance even August Roberts who took the photographs of Valiant Thor said the same thing and although August felt a a little bit of a violation and was scared where Dr. Frank, who is a positive man, August was, August was sketchy uh, in the sense of um, uh, he, he wasn't a uh, total optimistic, happy person like Dr. Frank. He was a little more leery of things. But when Dr. Frank experienced it, he said, you know, 
the only thing I can describe it is it, it did feel like total unconditional love, but he said, I felt infinitesimal and huge at the same time and omnipresent. He said it was the most unbelievable feeling I ever, ever experienced in my life. And that's what it will be like uh, for all of us when, you know, when we attain that. And, you know, that is why they're all here. That's why we're all here raising consciousness. So when the planet gets to uh, the, uh, well, we've already passed the tipping point. We're already going into full consciousness. And when it shifts over, and then everyone uh, starts to become fully conscious, um, then this world then moves up to that fourth and fifth place, and, um, and then we will be in that dimension and we'll be closer, actually, to the sun in that, in that um, dimensional planet. So... Um, so let me it, let me ask it, you, Craig. Uh, do you have your book, your uh, species book, in front of you? Your almanac. Can you uh-huh, can you can you turn to page two seventy? Yeah. Would you read for our audience the contrary cosmic law of one, and then read the the rest of the uh, twelve things that go under it? I think our audience really needs to hear this, especially at sure. this time. Yeah. Let me. Uh... Let's see. Yeah, and I always uh, tell everybody, what, you know, uh, whether you get the autobiography of an ET uh, book saga, there's four of those, or the Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, go to the back of the book first because there's, um, you know, here what, what I'm going to do is read the Cosmic Laws, uh, but also um, in the ET Species Almanac, um, I have a whole section on the Galactarian alignment of space, peoples, and planets, all of their craft, what all the craft do, uh, the cosmic law, and then a terminology of the extraterrestrial world. All right, so here we go. So when God spoke the covenant to Moses, delivering the Ten Commandments, those mortal laws were intended for mortals. The cosmic law of one is written for fully conscious beings, created beings, angels of all classes, etc. They are the laws of harmony, the inherent laws of nature, the inclusion law of all, of creational imaging, of equality, of intelligence throughout the body of creation. Cosmic law of one. These laws are designed to align lives to the universal frequency of harmony. Uh, Number one, the law of unity. Everything is interconnected. When you are one with yourself, you are one with everyone. There is no separation. Law number two, the law of vibration. Tuning the spiritual body to vibrate at a high frequency enriches life. Number three, the law of manifestation. Using your frequency to manifest your hopes, dreams, and desires. Number four, the law of cause and effect. The energy frequency you put out is the energy frequency you get back. Number five, law of mental clarity. Connecting to source daily for mental clarity. 
Law of Spiritual Development. Number six, connecting to source daily to design your spiritual path towards divinity. Number seven, the law of physical health. Eat right, exercise, and laugh. And by the way, all the master teachers always say, keep it simple. It's always simple. All right. And uh, number eight, the law of social interaction. Maintaining close relationships with family, friends, and making new friends does the heart good. Number nine, the law of compensation. Working towards personal goals and achieving the end result, no matter how challenging the path might be. All right, now we'll just uh, read the contrary cosmic laws of one. This was written for the fallen angels and for races and individuals who disobey the natural laws and have branched away from their divinity and now covet service to self. When these laws are broken, there is a trial, and those sentenced are incarcerated on one of the seven prison planets, dependent on the severity of the crime in the ghost galaxy located in the Satanian system. By the way, we live in the Satanian system, uh, all of us here in this local uh, galaxy as well. as part of the larger system. For heinous crimes without remorse, the lengthy period of time is designated for redemption discovery. If redemption is sought, rehabilitation follows. If remorse is never found in their hearts, a new trial will determine their soul's fate. Either they will live out their days on a prison world or be sentenced to a soul death. Some of the laws are as follows. Number one, Thou shalt not kill, for you kill a part of yourself, for every being carries the blueprint of the primordial Adam. Number two, thou shalt not enslave, imprison, kidnap, or hold anyone hostage. Number three, thou shalt not mentally or physically harm or torture another. Number four, thou shalt not sexually violate. Another. Number five, thou shalt not physically attack another. Number six, thou shalt not invade the private thoughts of another. Number seven, thou shalt not hinder the free will of another and their right to choose. Number eight, thou shalt not create life forms from genetic materials of your own or another's race unless sanctioned by the angelic core. Number nine, thou shalt not abduct cosmic citizens against their will to perform medical tests or to extract genetic materials. Number 10, thou shalt not alter the biology chemistry of another without their consent. Number 11, thou shall not remove or lock the ascension chakras of another. Number 12, thou shall not interfere in an individual or race's evolution and impede their right to ascend. And then there's just a little bit here about the 
the uh, dark beings and their, their laws, which are called dark undermonic laws. These are the laws of service to self to gain power, technology, and material wealth. They defile all that is good and righteous and mock the cosmic law of one. These under-demonic laws are the opposite of the harmonic laws. They are the laws of defilement of God, deceit, divide and conquer, robbing younger civilizations of their genetic materials, creating aggressive hybrid races for nefarious purposes, energy siphoning, hate, indulgence, perpetual sin, self-gratification at others' expenses, and vengeance. So that's there's it. that. A lot of, that's it that's right it. there. So That's totally it. Go ahead. That's to- I, yeah. I'm so glad you read that because those are the energetics that we're witnessing on the planet right now. In fact, I feel like I've been in galactic witness protection program just watching this craziness on the planet. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I, I have to say I never in my life thought we would be living what we are living right now. You know? And yet we chose to come and be here for this. That's that's, that's a cosmic right. joke. <laughs> and well, we chose. <laughs> it it is it is, and, and as you know, I mean, a lot of people uh, sort of feel this is a prison planet in in a strange sort of sense, but. Uh, all of the planets are different schools, and right now this one is teaching duality. And, um, and a lot of fully conscious beings, uh, created beings, um, uh, gods and goddesses, they are siphoning off sections of their soul to also come and incarnate here to raise consciousness. But it also it also is um, a learning experience for them because if they have never they they have never been dualistic but they have witnessed duality but to be here and experience it and to understand it more uh, is really gratifying. So uh, in, in that sense, because it gives them a greater understanding when when dealing with other worlds that are uh, having the same kind of problems that we are. In fact. Um, in the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga, the lead character, Tehran, who's a titan, uh, who is um, a Pleiadian, uh, he was born dualistic up there in their world. Out of every 200,000 babies born, one will be born dualistic. And this is so that they can stay... um, uh, in uh, they can have uh, they can stay understanding of what it's like to be in the presence of someone dualistic and how their mind works and vice versa for the dualistic being. So Tehran is actually given the job. He is a professor at the University of Melchizedek, and he teaches the star seeds that come into Earth because he is dualistic and he can teach them from that standpoint on what to expect. Some, you know, it's, 
everyone is a little different. There are some star seeds. It's their first time. Some, some, you know, have several under their belt. Some may have 30, 40, 50, a hundred under their belt. And, um, you know, it is a free choice to come in and to do this over and over again. But also he then teaches the, um, uh, there, some of these star seeds come in and, uh, they are going through a massive different lifetime so that they will be every race, religion, creed on our planet. And once they have mastered all of that, then uh, they go back to the University of Melchizedek where Tehran then teaches uh, these, what they will, they now have the title of Mighty Messenger. And then they incorporate what their job will be when they incarnate this next time on Earth because their job will be to raise global consciousness instead of just in their in prior incarnations, just their individual consciousness and to help those that were around them. So now these people are coming in as mighty messengers on a greater global scale and coming in and really, really assisting and helping the planet. And I have to say, I have met, I have met some starseed children um, and, and kids. They are coming in speaking star languages. Uh, they are drawing star maps. They are inventors. Um, I've even had some of them showing me the inventions they're making that's going to eradicate this, 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 and this. And I'm like, I know that that's what they're going to do. Why would they be even be building? They're building these machines, right? And, right. and I mean, that's, they're brainiacs. These kids are brainiacs. And that is because of the succession of star seed families before them because as each family raises their consciousness, then it sets a higher standard for more of a higher vibrational soul to incarnate and to take hold here. So, so, so it's let me ask really, you, really. Uh, in your yeah. in your book on page eighty three, you talk about the Lady of Light. So, as you're talking mm-hmm. about what you're saying now, I'm thinking, oh, the Lady of Light has to be part of this consciousness that's yeah. coming and this is part of the goddess uh, uh, programs that are coming back to the planet. Can you give us a little bit of the cosmic agenda of the Lady of Light and who she represents? Well, well, I will tell you, um, here for the Lady of Light, um, I actually put a photograph of one of my dear friends, Christopher Bledsoe Sr. Um, he, uh, he had a massive abduction at a certain point. I've a- I actually traveled to um, North Carolina where it happened on the, uh, on the river, and he took me around and showed me where everything was. Um, at a certain point after these abductions, which, which were frightening at first, because he had no idea what they were, what was happening. And and as with all people who, uh, well, not all people, but some people who have been abducted, you know, and I'll even uh, uh, talk about Whitley Strieber because he was frightened in the beginning, but now he's come to see it in a brighter light, right? And so 
so this is what happened also with Chris. And um, he started getting visitations from the Lady of Light, who comes throughout history and uh, delivers messages of, of things that are going to happen. And um, in his backyard, he had, a, a, I don't know the name of the tree, but it's, uh, we're standing in front of the tree in the picture that's in the book there, by the way. You can see the burned part in the center. Um, the tree was half dead, right? Like one half of the tree was totally dead, and the other half was like a little bit alive and, and had some branches and some leaves and things on it. So when the Lady of Light appeared, the tree burst into flame. And they they uh, they kept throwing water on it and put it out, and then it burst into flames again. And um, and then he began having uh, seeing the Lady of Light and having conversations with her, and so uh, he's met um, scholars. Um, I, uh, is it George Zervos, I think, who is a scholar on the lady uh, and how she has appeared throughout all the centuries. And um, I myself would look at her as the goddess mother universe, right? Um, and, and we here always need to see something in a form and so, as I know from doing all the research and talking to a lot of people, when I did the E.T. Almanac, um, like uh, the Titan Syrians, they're, they're so far up the chain, they don't even have form, right? But they manifested a form for the contactee, so he could have something to identify them with. And and so I look at this also as upon that. And if you notice, she is very demure. She's small. She is all of that. In another contactee case that happened in Miami, uh, I believe in the 50s, um, there was a, uh, I think he was 17 years old when this started. He'd be walking down the street and he would just start thinking about, I wonder what's out there in the universe. I wonder, you know, about life out there. And he said then in the days that come, he would see glints of silver light in the sky. And he'd like try and focus and, to see what that was. And then uh, at some point after having these experiences, a man approached him. He was only five, six. He had uh, blonde hair, almost, Asian-appearing eyes, but not quite. They were blue, and he, uh, and he was Caucasian. And he said to this man, who, who I have spoken to extensively about his experiences, he said, I have come to answer all of your questions. So he met with this man, with this being, 
Um, I believe it was 44 times over the course of seven, eight, or nine months. And, uh, and eventually he told him that he was a created being and that he had created this form just for him because this is the one that he would be least afraid of, right? So, and then I started thinking back into other contactee cases, and Orthon with Adamski was like five six, five seven. Um, uh, Salganda was five six and looked similar to um, to uh, the the man I just described in Miami. Um, and Valiant Thor is about six feet tall. So. It was. It's interesting that they don't come in forms that are going to be um, considered uh, too big, too frightening, or anything of that nature. And look, they could they could come to anybody, and they could take on any any race, any color, any form. They can do those types of things. The created beings can. And um, but the forms that we normally see them in, like Valiant Thor, that's the form that he prefers to be in. But could he change his form? Yes. Could he be anywhere at the same time in all places at the same time? Yes, he can. I mean, Dr. Frank would say sometimes you might be driving down the street. You might see him standing on the side of the street. And if you saw that, you know that he's going to come and visit you. So there's just, I mean, there's just so many wonderful, fascinating things that I've, you know, learned doing this over all these years and, um, uh, and just the beauty of them and that they have that kind of consideration for uh, the people that they're contacting and, uh, things of that nature, and uh, you know, some that don't look much like us. If they bring somebody up on on craft, they'll usually find somebody who is very heart centered who won't be afraid. Um, you know, like there was a um, these lizard looking beings who were benevolent took a 14 year old girl up uh, off the Cherokee Nation, um, and. Uh, hooked her up to a neural transmitter uh, that the um, being also hooked himself up to. Um, and uh, she literally had a full-blown conversation with him. And he gave her a whole tour of the ship. And when she was put back, because she was hooked up to the neural uh, thing, she was able to remember everything in their conversation and was able to share it. And that's really what the beings wanted was to let, you know, have some sort of contactee so that people here would know who they were, where they came from, that they're benevolent, they're, uh, you know, they're not here to harm. And, you know, they took the innocence of a 14-year-old girl who would not be afraid and would not, uh, you know, color the experience as well. So I thought that was fascinating. I'm just trying to find them in the book to see what they're listed under. 
because I had a wonderful um, a wonderful uh, artist rendering of, uh, your, of those beings. Your, your pictures are just pretty awesome. All the pictures in the book are really wonderful pictures, and I commend you for you know really doing all the different things that you're doing: the movies, the books, the speaking engagement, uh, the investigations that you're doing with elementals. At some point, I really want to talk to you more about the elemental faction of all of this, but we don't have time today. In fact, I'm looking at the time, and I'd like like to pass you over to my co-host, Ariel, who has the switchboard. There may be people that want to call in and comment or have a question for you if you would would be available for that. Absolutely, and that race are the regalians on page 241 that I was just talking about, the the sort of lizard hybrid-looking beings, yeah. Right, so so back to you, Arielle, and and stay in touch with us. Anytime that you have something that we need to know about, don't hesitate to call, even if we could put you on for 10 minutes to announce to the world something important that you're working on, yeah. I will. I will call you guys next because we are making the uh, Species Almanac into a documentary. So it'll be an extension of the book, and you're going to hear from all the real people. So it's going to oh, be very good. exciting. Good. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So back to you, Ariel. Yeah. Well, that that's that's really exciting, and I just I love mm-hmm. listening to to everything because you teach and inform. And and you've really helped to make this more tangible instead of just, yes. you know, like somewhere out there there's nebulous <laughs> things that you don't understand. <laughs> you know? I know, I know, I know. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> so let me just take a moment. If anyone is um, listening on the switchboard already and you have a question for Craig, you need to press 1. So we know you want to ask a question. If you're listening on the computer, then just pick up the phone, dial 917-889-8292. And then once you get in, you press 1, and uh, we'll get you up uh, to ask your question of Craig. But uh, as I was listening to you talk, I'm, I'm uh, having, oh, I wonder what that's about. I wonder what this is about. But the over, <laughs> uh, over overview kind of thing, it, it seems to me, and, and I've, I've heard this from other people as well, but of, of the totality of ETs who are um, involved in, in, around the planet here, how yeah. about, would you say that like the vast majority, even like 80%, or more are the benevolent races? Absolutely. And the thing is, is that, you know, the drama has to play out so the planet learns its lesson. This planet has been through many stops and starts in civilizations. So this is the time to say, okay, we have learned it finally and let us graduate to the next level so we can go back and rejoin universal society because this planet used to be a part of the whole universal society that is out there. And there, you know, there were, uh, you know, I mean, can you imagine getting on a craft and going to another world and 
learning about that world and taking little field trips uh, across the universe and, and things of that nature. But, you know, all of that was uh, shut down when, uh, you know, this place went a little, uh, when it went dark, uh, I would say probably after the fall of Atlantis and Lemuria. And uh, those beings then went underground. The Lemurians' main capital um, is uh, uh, called Telos, and it is uh, below Mount Shasta. The um, the uh, uh, Atlanteans are in uh, their their town is called Posid. And their their subterranean civilization is under the Mato Grasso, and um, and then uh, and what's interesting is that all of the various um, and there's many many other things in the whole uh, network of Agartha is that each of the major cities has a Melchizedek priest and priestess, so. Um, so in Mount Shasta, for instance, it's Adama and Terra Ra. And, um, there was even books that were written way back when called the Smoky God about, uh, two men that, that, uh, found their way into Agartha and they actually lived, uh, with these giants, uh, for two years. And they met the Melchizedek priest in the city of Eden. So, uh, so all of the writings and things over the years that have been about it, including um, uh, Richard E. Bird, right? So, uh, you know, and his, you know, his story of going into the inner earth. Um, as a matter of fact, um, we. I, I obtained so much new information on Agartha that the book in its it's just gone into its third reprinting that I added all of that new information into the Agarthan chapter. And which book are you talking about? Uh, the Extraterrestrial Species Almanac. So, oh, okay. And, and yeah, yeah. So the, in the third printing, there will be a lot of new information. And I did add one new race. I'll let everybody figure that one out for themselves. We'll leave a little mystery. But if <laughs> I could also just ask all the listeners, if you can, you know, if you have the book already or if you're going to get the book, if you could please give me an Amazon review because it really, really does help. And uh, uh, I would really appreciate that. And, um, you know, and as Ariel said, the link in the thing, you can get autographed copies from me uh, at that link as well. And, and you'll see the autobiography of an extraterrestrial book series there as well. So, and Stranger okay. at the Pentagon is strangeratthepentagon.com. So. Okay. Do we have any and, questions? And for, you know, we have one caller waiting, uh, but <clears throat> before okay. I forget, um, if if you if you happen to be listening from our archives, you know after tonight's show is over and you listen to it um, in the on the show page, the links that Craig is talking about <clears throat> will be there for the uh, the YouTube trailer for the book, um, 
and for the autobiography of an ET.com and other books. That's where you get the signed copy and StrangerAtThePentagon.com. So um, those links will be um, available in the when if you're if you're listening from the archives. So uh, we yes. have a question from a caller, and we're going to talk to Sarah. So let me just open the mic here. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Hi, Sarah. You're on the air with Craig. Go ahead and ask your question. Hey. Hi, Craig. How are Thank you? you. I'm great. Oh, what a wonderful talk. <laughs> so I loved your um, Cosmic Laws. Really brilliant. Um, I have to listen to it again. Law of Cause and Effect, Mental Clarity. <laughs> Just really wonderful. Yeah. I could really feel the energy when you shared that. And yeah. I love that you shared about the problem with duality. And I'm wondering, I'm, I'm an environmental advocate and I'm really facing yeah. an uphill battle regarding um, opposite world <laughs> where, where <laughs> I, it's, it's like the playbook is just really ramped up, you know, and, and people yeah. are in their own echo chambers. And I'm wondering, and I do a lot of media messaging trying to reach people, and uh, I want to just, what's the way through 2021? It's such a contradiction in terms in terms of consciousness you know i i have been asked this question by uh, a lot of people and the one thing that you that everyone must do is to stay grounded in your own space and make sure that you meditate on a daily basis and if you've never meditated before i always tell people go to jonathan goldman's website download his seven minute chakra balancing you can download it for free and just listen to that and the music will balance your chakras and it's only seven minutes and just start with that but you have to remember that you that there everyone else is living in a uh are living in fear and all of that. Even when I go to the grocery store, I notice in people's eyes, I just see fear in so many different people's eyes because they're so afraid of, of the unknown and are they going to get it? And people are screaming, you're wearing a mask, you know, don't wear a mask or wear a mask or, you know, there's all of that. And it's just to stay completely grounded if you feel or see something you know that that if you're out and about and some of my friends have told me some horrific things if you're in a store just drop it and leave and and if it's something that you should call 911 then do that but leave and and take yourself out of it because there were so many things that were happening at a certain point but Look, this is a greater thing at play than what any of us can do. But what we can do is we can meditate on it and we can, we can put it, uh, we can take the world and surround it in a bubble of green light for healing, pink light for love, purple light for transformation, silver light for Mother God and gold light for Father God. And anything with those colors, if anything negative goes, tries to go through it, it cannot because it will only be transformed. So 
I just do that and I permeate the whole world with it. And then I just give my own wish for the world to move through this with grace and dignity and that everybody stays calm and stays, stays to their true self. And um, because that's what we can do as individuals. And um, you know, we, uh, I do know that the created beings and that all of those beings that are around here, they are in full awareness and that they are overseeing things that are happening and that, um, again, they can't rescue us, but they can also help situations by um, implanting a thought in someone's head through intuition of something or a scenario that might work, right? Um, The dark things can do that too. That's what duality is all about here. So, you know, and uh, so I would just say that's that's the best thing to do. That's really beautiful. Thank you. I I love your answer. You're welcome. And I just want (laughs) to add, I am the person who who gave um, Ariel the tip about Amazon Sidewalk. The deadline is today. It would create a smart uh, city grid um, a half a mile with your neighbors and your privacy would be really compromised in terms of um, all your encrypted data would be, you know, possibly hackable to your neighbors for half a mile and today's the last day to opt out. And it's really simple. Mm-hmm. And you go to PC Magazine and it's, it's really simple. You Google and um, they'll, you can find out how to do it. If you have any of the Alexa um, products, sorry, that's, Part of my work. So. <laughs> oh no, that's really good. But it's only if you have Alexa or that kind of thing. The Echo, the Amazon. So basically, it's like imagine that um, someone siphoning off, siphoning gas off of your your tank. They're actually. Right, I don't right. know how this is legal, but you know they're actually using your energy yeah. to create a network, and it's not good for yeah. um, the planet, plants, pollinators, your garden. No, I totally agree with you on that. And I would never have that in my house, by the way. (laughs) You know, that's just just creepy. I mean, when I first saw those things, I was like, nope, nope. Don't get those people. Yeah, yeah. It's just just one step closer to having someone looking down your pants anytime they want. (laughs) Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for calling in, and thank you for all the work you do on behalf of the whole planet. Thank you, guys. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. Bye bye. Okay, so um, we have one more caller, and you're going to talk to Gus, who is um, okay. a dear friend of ours. He has been to Arkansas with us. So, hi, Gus. How are you doing? Hi, Ariel. Great. Great. Hi, Gus. Hello, Craig. <laughs> nice Love to the book. You. Great read and, and a great reference book, too. So thank uh, you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, what uh, what came to me, and I will I – will, uh, try to put this into logical words. So 
you know, with science and physics and experiments that they've done with atoms and all that fun stuff, they say that the observer, uh, the consciousness, uh, affects the experiment. Right? Have you heard that? Um, I haven't, but that makes sense to me. Right, we can actually, I mean, even electrons even behave differently if they know they're being watched, which is pretty pretty wild and pretty uh, Star Trek-y in science fiction. But anyway, uh, the reason I bring that up is the, uh, so, you know, I've also heard that all eyes are upon us. So, the, like, the galaxy is watching, and they're really paying attention to us. So we're the, you know, we are the focal point, which means that, and I don't know if this has ever happened in this galaxy, you know, with the involvement, but if all eyes are upon us and all these different races that you speak of in different extraterrestrial species, you know, if if it if they are got us surrounded and they're really, uh, you know, pulling up with their favorite drink and a, a bowl of popcorn and, and watching this play out, are they possibly accelerating uh, this whole process and kind of acting like catalysts uh, because that's a lot of eyes on us. Well, it is, and yes, they are, because of a big part of it is through this whole mm-hmm. um, uh, starseed program and consciousness, other consciousness-raising programs and, and things of that nature. By the way, there are many, many human ETs that are living on the planet who are working in jobs um, who are... Uh, uh, intermingling because their energy is so high that when uh, when they're here, it helps to elevate the consciousness, and uh, that's also what they're doing. So that that does not break any uh, universal laws because it is uh, you know nobody owns a planet anywhere. Planets are shared. So, um, so it's uh, interesting. Uh, like there's clarions, for instance, that uh, through the contacting Maurizio Cavallo in Italy, that there a lot of them are living in Italy as well. And at a certain point, uh, the Umo or the Umites, uh, one guy was eight feet tall. Um, they when when they come and they visit, they they tend to go to Italy as well. So, uh, and a lot of the race, other races go uh, to just various things. The Alpha Centaurians are uh, visiting um, South America, and with their contactees down there, and these are face to face contacts. Nice. Yeah, nice. yeah. So, and I like so, how many yeah. uh, how many ETs were uh, uh, enrolled in the uh, Melchizedek uh, uh, universities around the galaxy. That was pretty cool too. So, uh, we're yes, getting exactly. how to be a how to be a good star seed, right? That's well, we all are. And uh, interestingly enough, the um, the base for Melchizedek in, in our little solar system here is on the interior of Venus for Melchizedek. Oh, cool. All right. Yes. 
So, yeah, which is really nice. So, and we know we've heard a little bit of the Melchizedek teachings throughout a lot of the, uh, you know, throughout all the years and uh, things that sort of sprung up in different religions and uh, I think Judaism as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm thinking everything's going to explode here really soon because uh, it feels like the energy is uh, is speeding up. Everything's speeding up. It is. It is speeding up, and it's, <laughs> you know the the end result is going to be good for the all. So, and whatever yes. that end result is, we don't know, and it's better we don't know. I, I always say I don't even want to know. I just going to yeah. live day to day. Right? That's that's the way to do it. Yeah, because we've already burned through all the prophecies, so that's all yeah, all we can exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. So. Well, thank you. Thank you <laughs> okay. so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks for calling, Gus. Nice, to, nice to hear from you. Bye bye. Thanks, Ariel. Bye. Bye. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've also I've always had this philosophy. That uh, because it's based on the, the the nature of the universe is balance, and when when the when the scales tip way far on the one side, they must go equally far on the other side. It's that the nature of balance. The the, the universe yes. always wants to stay balanced, and as that translates into our personal lives, um, I I've, I use the analogy in my in my sessions. It's like a slingshot. You know, people's like, oh, my God, I, I'm in a worse place than I've ever been. Things are the darkest they've ever been. And I was like, great, <laughs> great, because the farther, the farther back you pull the slingshot, the farther it flies. So, right. you know, the, the deeper the valley, the higher the mountain. So when things get really challenging, really tough, you know, even dark, just know that there's an equal amount of light that's going to come from that. And eventually the pendulum will stop swinging and will be neutral um, in, in oneness without the duality. But, yeah, it, so. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely right. And it's like we as, uh, you know, a, a straight couple, for instance, you have masculine and feminine, and and they're balancing their energies to become to have an equilibrium between the both of them. And even sometimes the woman might have more masculine and the man might have more feminine. They're still going to balance it. And then if you have a gay couple, uh, whether male or female, they're balancing. They may be balancing masculine emotions on a whole nother level to right. uh, do that. It was so great when, when the, my master teachers explained all of this to me. And I was just like, wow, it's just amazing because, you know, we all are going to come in, in in lifetimes being each and everything that we see and know on this planet. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's so great to, uh, like under once you understand it and that kind of thing, and you build that balance between, um, you know, all areas of your life, sexuality, mental, physical, uh, everything. It's a beautiful thing. Right, and and so are you. 
Craig. You are such oh, a beautiful thank soul. You. <laughs> <laughs> and we just we just we love, love having you. you on the show. And you know, I I know that you you know you work ten days a week, but one of these times we want you to come to Arkansas, and just chill out for a weekend with with your oh, star, my with God. star family. Wouldn't that be I nice? Know. I would I would love that. I would so love that. Yeah. yeah. I was talking and to so a friend of mine who brought up. Yeah, it's so uh, that would be so great. So. Well, thank you guys for having me on. I'm glad it all worked out and uh, I was able to come and um, and be with you all today. Did my heart yeah. good. I know that. Yeah. And and ours as well. It's always just a, a pleasure, beyond a pleasure, to have you with us. And um, just be, before we wrap up here, um, if you go to um, YouTube, you can see the trailer for extraterrestrial species almanac and um, to get a signed copy of any of Craig's books including the almanac you go to autobiography of an et.com forward slash other hyphen books and then there's the stranger at the pentagon.com website where uh, you've got the short film that you've won all the awards for on that yes yes okay uh, people can watch it there or Amazon Prime Okay, great. Well, everybody check that out. Um, Craig is a, a bottomless well of inspiration and information. So take advantage of, of that, all those websites and his work. So I'm giving you a big, giant hug, <laughs> and thank you so much for being with us tonight. Uh, big hug back. Love you all a lot, and I can't wait to talk to you all again soon. Okay. Well, you take care, sweetie. <laughs> you okay. too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Well, that is it for us this evening, boys and girls, and um, we'll be back in two weeks. Until then, remember those cosmic laws. You know, live in gratitude, show compassion, and abandon judgment, and that will bring more light not only to you but to the planet. Until next time, good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 